Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm KW Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And today we're kind of doing a potpourri episode. We're <laughs> talking about a bunch of fun stuff, including a classic novel, some new music. And we're going to talk a little bit more about world building to continue from Carrie's podcast from two weeks ago. Yay. Yay. But one <laughs> of the things I wanted to address is we're, this week at least, we're deliberately not going to talk about streaming fiction shows on or movies because of the Writers Guild of America strike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This just started and I don't know a ton about it, but we as writers want to um, stand in solidarity with the writers who are striking for fair pay and fair conditions. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not, I would recommend like kind of doing a little research on this because it's pretty interesting. If you are someone who writes anything or does intellectual work for a living or consumes written work of any kind, which is like most of the people in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I personally think you should be on the side of the WGA. They haven't gone on strike in about 15 years. And one of the things is that the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the AMPTP, is kind of like the group that sort of handles production and stuff. So they are who the WGA as a union negotiates with. And the last time they came back to the negotiation table, there were multiple concessions that the WGA was trying to make and, and ask for like a counter. And there were various lines on the contract that the AMPTP just ignored. They didn't even counter. Yikes. So they're not trying to negotiate in good faith, which is sort of what is like the last straw and precipitates a strike. And like the biggest things are pay, but it's because pay has gone down on average. People are making about 14% less than they used to. Um, So it's become a working class profession. So pay has gone down so far that one screenwriter I saw on TikTok was explaining that depending on an average, like if you work in a writer's room of a nine episode show, and then based on your agent fees and things, you could make as little as $26,000 a year in LA or New York. yeah. Yeah. And that's not a livable wage. And if you only have one show that you're working on, that's awful. And they've turned being a professional screenwriter into being a gig worker, which if you've got like independent wealth and a working spouse or whatever, that's maybe okay with you, but it's not really that fair. And people Mm -hmm. can't sustain themselves in expensive cities where you have to live to do these jobs. The other worry they have other than this low pay and like various other things that are kind of complicated is uh, the threat of AI and wanting to, you know, make sure that they're not going to just replace all human writers with AI or, or turn professional screenwriters into editors who are cleaning up bad AI and just punching up pre-generated scripts. And we as viewers deserve way better than watching shows that are made by AI. Yeah. That's unconscionable and terrible. I don't know if you've ever played with AI writing, but unless you're writing something that is meant to be just like utilitarian, it is garbage and terrible (laughs) and does not produce good creative work or accurate work. And as someone who is both a writer and a teacher, I'm especially angry about AI. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, I think it can be, it has its place, 
But there needs to be a lot more kind of guardrails put on it so that we're not basically facilitating cheating and facilitating obsolescence of human brains. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Anyway, my my soapbox is off. <laughs> we we know a couple of screenwriters. We know some folks in the industry, and it's, in, you know, we we support our friends and colleagues and fellow writers. So for sure, yeah. yeah. And as someone who's written a script uh-huh. and has tried to do a couple things with it, yeah, I if I were to enter that world eventually, I would want fair wages. Yes, <laughs> and yes. all that stuff. So same, yeah. And it's yeah. about creative integrity too. So. Yeah. Intellectual property rights, rights for part of the one of the ways that screenwriters get paid after a show is over is through what's called residuals, where they get a little bit of money when it restreams or reairs and reruns and all this. And a lot of big streamers now also are doing the kind of jerky move of making work no longer available once they cancel it or stop producing new episodes. In in previous years during the streaming era, it's been true that they'll kind of leave something available in quasi-perpetuity, which is great because then you are earning residuals anytime someone streams that show. But they are being jerkier about it and just making it gone. Yeah. Or selling it to a smaller streamer, which isn't as ubiquitous or available, which just makes means that your residuals are going to be smaller. And if you're already making less than $30,000 a year in an expensive city, that's not great, you know? So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> like this is where I could be an an old miserly person and go on a rant about physical media as well. And yes. how, we need to, <laughs> yes. how we need more DVDs and, <laughs> yes. and things instead of just relying on streaming. Yes, I agree. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. I wanted to also, so I wasn't available for the episode from two weeks ago, but I did listen to it and I loved it on your um, fantasy (laughs) world building. And I was listening to it while driving. So of course I was like, I want to write all this down, but you were, you were kindly (laughs) supplying me with a written list later, which I appreciated. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. Like it was really helpful. And I also wanted to kind of talk about the fact that world building is required, even if you are writing about our so-called real world, mm-hmm. depending on, well, I mean, even if you're writing straightforward, realistic fiction, there's still a lot of work that needs to go into, you know, what are you going to, what's going to be slightly different? What do you need to research? What do you need to know about where you've set things? How much do you want to show, et cetera? Yeah. So, and you've written some stuff that is a little bit more realistic than high fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, what's your process for that? Just casually, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pre-plan this with you, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the question is surprising. I, I'm sorry, I didn't. No, 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 it's good. I didn't think about that because I stuck to fantasy because obviously I didn't want to make like a two-hour episode and. Yeah. and because that's what i'm writing right now like i talking about that kind of spurred me to be like okay this is i need to start working on this project in earnest Mm -hmm. so i have officially started my fantasy manuscript but yeah i've written i've written a contemporary fantasy which takes place in the real world and Mm -hmm. i've written i've dabbled in mysteries and other things so that's an interesting question I personally have a hard time with like, like 
there are writers who will research so much about the city that they were writing something in, <laughs> down to like street names and this building exists on this mm-hmm. street and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit too intense for me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it stifles my creativity a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think if I'm writing something like that, I tend to come up with one solid location like for Mm -hmm. instance the mystery that i'm writing takes place at a university so i wanted to build out the university and i have a little map and (laughs) (laughs) and you know which building is where and what the buildings are called and things like that Mm -hmm. so because that the bulk of the story takes place there that makes sense Mm -hmm. for me yeah So I think it's good to kind of start with one thing and then move out from there or decide, like, where are the locations that your characters need to frequent? Or, you know, is your heroine a baker? Does she have a bakery? And, like, get all the details for that. Like, what's her muffin of the day or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) So... My approach is to start small and sort of spiral outward, but mm-hmm. but what about you? Yeah, I think I do something similar, and I either will, um, in terms of like city locations, I will either create my own, which I've done and, and can get kind of complicated, or I'll cobble it together from multiple places and make it not mm-hmm. one real place, but sort of fictionalize it, or I'll set it somewhere that I know pretty well, either a city that I have lived in my current city or like a place I've visited enough that I know where everything is. I've set parts of a current novel in progress in Indianapolis. I've never lived there, but I've gone there a ton and it's a very easy city to, it's like very square grid. Hasn't, hasn't (laughs) changed that much over a long period of time. And so just pretty easy to figure out. And I, Stephen King is obviously famous for like his main locations, but uh, he lives in Maine. He knows the area well, but he's invented little fake towns, fictional towns in Maine that don't exist Mm -hmm. that I think he's based on a couple of different ideas. Um, But he has a newer series that he has set in, I don't even think he names the city or he names fictional cities. Uh, It's in the Midwest, but he doesn't even tell you what state it's in. And I think that's interesting. And like, I always think of it as being near Cleveland randomly. I don't know why, (laughs) but I don't think it is when he's like, he contradicts himself a lot to leave you guessing. And I think that's fun. And I think that's an interesting approach. And he just, he's able to make it very generic Midwest, generic Mm -hmm. upper Midwest. And, and like, that's totally fine. Like he, it seems like what he does is just makes parts of the city as he needs them for this series. That makes sense. And that's a, yeah, and that's a reasonable approach. I think the main thing is like urban versus rural. What country is it in? Is it multiple locations? I wrote a novel once where it was set in, this was a research stretch for me. So it was set in the late 70s and it was people who were traveling a bunch across multiple cities around the world. Oh, wow. They were like on a music tour. Yeah. And obviously, I was only super tiny in the late 70s and don't remember it super well and was obviously not globetrotting at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just did enough research that I could possibly, you know, make it work. And I think one thing whenever you're writing outside of your knowledge zone is 
keep your perspective on what your main characters would be able to observe. So these were like rock musicians on tour. So they were busy. So they weren't like, they didn't have a lot of time to like go explore Berlin or whatever. So like Mm -hmm. it helped that I could keep that. Their scope was like their tour bus and these (laughs) concert venues and hotel rooms. And like, I kind of know what those things are like. So it made it easy to keep the scope needfully narrow even though i did have to look up like okay well where is what hotel it would be in london and in this time period or whatever um so keeping it realistic while keeping your scope very focused on your characters yeah so yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i think i'm i'm more like stephen king than i (laughs) like the uh the authors who know every street turn and stuff like that but either approach works obviously and if you do what's comfortable to you i think you'll be successful yeah cool do you have any other questions about world building not right now i know i know that with when it comes to because you did touch on this a little bit because some of your books were taken from like rpg game master advice and stuff Mm -hmm. and that's why i've had trouble wanting to game master very much because I've done it once and I don't feel like it went great. And I used okay a pre-done adventure from the Doctor Who RPG. Mm. And I know Doctor Who very well and the pre-done adventure had all the like details of the world already established. But for me in terms of like if I wanted to run a game, even though the setting is kind of established for you, I think I would have a lot more trouble with building like the various locations when when I was running the game I just found it frustrating that I couldn't I just wanted them to do what the script kind of wanted <laughs> right. them to do yeah. and I'm not I'm not <laughs> super great at improv for something that stressful you know what I mean yes no I totally understand pre-written adventures can be great because mm-hmm. yeah you don't have to decide anything you just have to follow the script mm-hmm. but at the same time, they are limited, so they can't account for every single question that your group is going to ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, like, I had this one that I was running for my, my private D&D group, not, like, at Gen Con or anything. Didn't mm-hmm. you run yours at Gen Con? No, I ran mine oh, just okay. at my house. <laughs> okay, okay. For some reason, I thought you did it at Gen Con. No. But it was, like... <laughs> There were monsters coming out of a meteor, and they were in this town, and everyone was like, yeah, the meteor crashed over, like, a mile away, and all of a sudden, monsters have been coming from that direction Mm -hmm. (laughs) for, like, two days now, since ever since it crashed, Mm -hmm. and the... The group kept wanting to like go back to the town and ask more questions. And I was like, no, you guys just need to go to the meteor site. <laughs> like I'm running out of yeah. of NPCs for you to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's it's great when they come out with stuff that you don't expect, but at yes. the same time, yeah, I'm not great at thinking on my feet. Mm-hmm. Like my my DM in our group is pretty good at that, and she'll be like, "Oh, okay, let me go find you, <laughs> like a dragonborn name. Hang on a second, <laughs> and she comes right back. But I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> so yeah, it can be it can be really hard and stressful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I think we could probably go on about that for a while. Maybe yeah, that's a future segment. Frustrating, 
frustrating RPG moments. <laughs> yeah, but you know, sometimes writing about something a little bit more close to your knowledge base can work too, and that's kind of the novel that I wanted to talk about today is actually The Great Gatsby, which is All technically right. set in a quasi-fictional part of Long Island, but it all takes place in Long Island in New York City. Okay. And obviously, F. Scott Fitzgerald was very familiar with that stuff. So you've never read this book, correct? Correct. Yes. What? <laughs> it's been on my list for a while. I know, I know. So I'm going to try to, like, I'm going to structure this as trying to promote it to you and to our listeners okay. who haven't read it. So Awesome. <laughs> it's from 1925 and it's set in 1922 so it's you know very close to the time period that he wrote it okay but f scott fitzgerald who you know jazz age modernist novelist american um and he died in 1940 like pretty young too so it's kind of uh -huh. like got a patina of you know near tragedy on it from that standpoint and it is itself the genre that it's most closely associated with is tragedy okay but, like, that makes it sound like, oh, this is going to be depressing. And it's not that it's a <laughs> oh, laugh right a minute. There are moments that are kind of funny. There are moments that are satirical. There are moments that are poignant and romantic. And, you know, it's got a, a general theme of nostalgia, even aside from us looking back at it 100 years later. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy that it's 100 years old. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 1922 seems like just five minutes ago. But the she whole was thing... alive because she was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But uh, it's about characters experiencing nostalgia and looking at things in hindsight and whatnot. And also unreliable narration, which I think is mm -hmm. always a fun device. Which, okay, so it's narrated by this character named Nick Carraway. And he is not Gatsby, obviously, but it's one of these where our title character is actually more of the deuteragonist and not our main character. So Nick really mm -hmm. is the technically the the protagonist or the hero, but he is a little bit passive and he's a little bit of an, an observer and he's not quite in the world that he's talking about. He's he's in it, but he's not in in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So he is kind of a little bit more upper middle class and most of the action takes place with um, his cousin, Daisy Buchanan, who is much more definitely upper class. And she's married to this guy, Tom, who is even more of an old money guy. And they live in this area that's sort of supposed to be like the Hamptons, but it's this area called East and West Egg off Long Island uh, with these two little islands that are, well, not, not islands, they're like, oh, what is that? What is the word? Like... Not an island. It's still got a piece of land. Right. You know oh, my gosh. I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. What are those? Oh, my gosh. This is another where to steal come from moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, an isthmus? No. Peninsula. Peninsula. Yes. They're little, they're little thingies that jut out that are like islands, but there is land connecting it to the mainland. But they look like eggs, and that's why they've called them East and West Egg. Oh, okay. They're clearly, again, supposed to be the Hamptons. So these, these areas of extreme wealth. But Nick has taken a small cottage that he can actually somewhat afford. And he's not like poor because he's even got a little housekeeper part time. So it's not like he's not doing okay. And he can't afford to live on the new money side of the egg. But he's not the old money, super, super wealthy the way Daisy and Tom are. 
And Nick has a neighbor named Jay Gatsby, our titular great Gatsby. And it turns out that Gatsby and Daisy had dated before or just after or t- toward the tail end of World War One, and Gatsby had been in the war. Okay. And I don't want to tell you too much because this is a very short novel. It's it's The Great Gatsby is one of the reasons why the National Novel Writing Month NaNoWriMo contest has you write a 50,000-word novel in 30 days because The Great Gatsby is almost exactly 50,000 words. And oh, it's, wow. So it's not a novella and or a novelette or a short story, but it is a very short novel. I love me a short novel, you know, like mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that you could <laughs> read in just a couple of days or even one day if you're, if you're like our friend J.L. Gribble, who devours thousands of books a year. <laughs> she could probably blast through this in like two hours. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a, if you're a quick reader, it's a nice quick read, but it's also... <laughs> It's a very tightly compacted story, so to tell you much more than that is pretty spoilery if you have not read it yet. Okay. But a couple of the themes that I'll mention, it's very much about the American dream and how that's illusory and fake and doesn't exist and it's not going to work out for you no matter how hard you try. The fact that people who try to ascend in social socioeconomic class will usually still be rejected by the class they're aspiring to. It's a lot about again, nostalgia and how you can't go back home again in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Like if, if a time has kind of passed, a situation has passed, it's passed for a reason and trying to recapture it is probably not going to work out for you. Yeah. And also kind of being an observer on the fringes of a lifestyle, a group, a class, a situation, etc. you're still involved in it more than you're letting on which is kind of Nick's issue. There are also a lot of things with Nick that are sort of told through literal ellipses at times to the point where it's very confusing what his whole hmm. deal is. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And and again, tragedy and miscommunication and again, the kind of the disdain that certain classes have for one another, then it goes both ways. So it's not just that the very wealthy look down on those who are less wealthy or, or downright poor, which is true. But the other way also works that those who are more middle class or working class definitely do have like a hatred, disdain, jealousy, but also, you know, maybe a rightful <laughs> hate or, or dislike of the upper classes. Mm-hmm. There's also things about the emptiness of kind of being wealthy and so it's not like they have it so great. There is kind of a, a lack of motivation that can lead to listness, listlessness and substance abuse and using glee and parties as a substitute for substance mm-hmm. in life, like real emotional human substance. So it's it's very much like kind of celebrating the jazz age, but also critiquing it, satirizing it in some ways. This is like sort of the time period prior to the Great Depression but we sort of see hints of like how that might have happened and contributing factors to it. And it's also during prohibition, but also makes it clear that certain things, even if they're illegal, are still very available if you're rich enough, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. which seems unfair and weird. So, yeah, the thing that's interesting, though, too, is that when this came out, we think of this as such a ubiquitous classic. And it is actually in the public domain at this point, which has led to people writing sort of published fan fiction based on it in the past couple of years. 
is it was not a commercial success when it first came out. And okay. even when Fitzgerald died, he thought it was a failure and that it was forgotten. But because this book is so short, it got a weird surge in popularity during World War II because the Council on Books in Wartime sent copies of it to American soldiers serving overseas. Oh, interesting. And it just kind of took off. And that's so sad that he never knew yeah. that it was going to become this really omnipresent in, in like our Western canon, but also like it's taught, I've taught it in multiple classes and on different things. And uh, I find it very useful because there's a couple of really solid film adaptations if students want to kind of look at that, but they also, they also find the book pretty easy to read and pretty quick. So it's, mm -hmm. but it, yet there's a lot of depth talking about gender and race and class and again, the American dream. And I often teach American studies, so it's very, very useful for things related to that. So yeah. And I think there's, there's this underlying melancholy throughout that I think you might find kind of beautiful, even though it is tragic. And yeah, I mean, it's not quite that pre-modernism period that I think you like a little bit more like the Edwardian era. It's yeah. just after that, but there's enough little backward hints at that that I think um, you would like. But Fitzgerald also started getting influenced by Hemingway, who he always felt like he was competing again like they had a weird frenemy relationship and this book is one of those examples of transition in his writing that goes from the more overwritten inspired by henry james kinds of people to being a little bit more spare inspired by hemingway and it's right there in that sweet spot in the middle so there's there's lines that are truly poetic but it's not the overwritten poetry of some of his earlier short stories hmm. so i think okay. it's very accessible and there are quotes that are just so gorgeous that he still clung to some of his little you know purple prose that he couldn't totally let go of yeah so and i because i don't like read a ton of the rest of his stuff i've certainly read others by him but i don't like them as much as this because this is pretty like both poetic but also tight if that makes sense yeah i think so, so yeah yeah all right yeah <laughs> is that gonna make you want to read it <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I co I've committed to reading it. I, okay. Yeah, I think what kept me away for a while was he's always associated with Hemingway. Mm -hmm. And I really don't like Hemingway. I'm so sorry, but... Don't be... I'm not his best friend. The man is boring, and I don't <laughs> like... I don't love that spare writing. Like, okay. I, I never have. And mm -hmm. I kind of hate that that is what people are still taught to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you should be able to experiment with your own style and you know if you like spare that's great but if you like longer sentences like Fitzgerald or Henry James or Edith Wharton or whatever then mm -hmm. like ex explore that yeah yeah don't automatically cut everything no I mean I love a good Poe story and he could really let those paragraphs go on forever so yeah, I think this is this is a nice middle ground. Yeah, for that reason, and I think you would like his style better than Hemingway. I don't super love Hemingway, trust me. Yeah, I've read some Hemingway that I like, but you know he is he is. I would say he's boring. Gatsby, <laughs> ha stuff happens in this book. Stuff okay, happens. People great. do things. They talk. They have, you know, it's there's a certain Downton Abbey esque sense mm -hmm. to some of the manor houses and whatnot. So that's kind of fun, but. 
there are events and there is drama and even action. So it definitely is not boring. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, great. But I always kind of associated the two. And then it wasn't until mm-hmm. very recently you were like, no, actually, they don't write very similarly. <laughs> no, no, they don't. So yeah, I'll I'll give it a shot and cool. it is short. Mm-hmm. I might actually look for the audiobook. Oh, cuz I could probably like that probably won't take very long at all. Yeah. I will I will caution you on the audiobooks. I have not okay. found one that was like an official real audiobook of that. I haven't really looked, but there are some podcast free audiobook versions and mm-hmm. those are typically not strong. So, if you yeah. find one, find one with a really really good professional narrator who can do the prose justice okay yeah i will keep that in mind thank you (laughs) you're welcome i will let me also say two things really quick there's Mm -hmm. two there's several film adaptations there's multiple the two that i've seen just to kind of give people a comparison there's the 1970s version starring robert redford as gatsby um, and then there's the later version directed by Boz Lerman with Leonardo DiCaprio as Gatsby. And that latter is much less faithful as an adaptation uh, from the book, but it's a spectacle. It's a quasi-musical. It's crazy. It's unrealistic in kind of fun ways. And it's, you know, it's fun. The 70s version is much more slow and methodical, but it is almost exactly note for note adaptation with only one element that is sort of expanded on, but it's not an unrealistic expansion. It really follows the novel almost exactly. Okay. So it's not amazing, but it is very meticulously adapted. So if you're going to go for faithful, that older one works really well. So Okay. Sounds good. I just checked my Libby app and there mm-hmm. are versions of the audiobook. Oh. And one is read by Tim Robbins. Oh. I think. So I think there are some official ones and I'll check okay. them out and see what try to find a good one. Yeah. But I I also wanted to mention that I actually read well, I listened to the audiobook a couple months ago of this book called I think it's called Wild and Wicked Things. Uh-huh. And it's basically I mean, it's not The Great Gatsby, but it's very heavily inspired by The Great Gatsby. Oh. And so it's sort of like like a remixing of it, but with magic. Oh. So instead of Prohibition, the like the forbidden thing is magic and this woman throws elaborate parties and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was interesting. Ooh. You that's... might you might find it interesting. Yeah. I'm looking <laughs> at it right now. Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. Got it open on my Goodreads. So, cool. Cool. Well, not to shift gears completely. I mean, (laughs) I will say to maybe transition more elegantly, music is a big part of Gatsby. (laughs) And you've been listening to some fun music that you wanted to tell us about today. So, yes. Uh, I like I like your commitment to segues. <laughs> uh yeah, I've just been I love music and I listen to music a lot at work. So, I'm kind of I mean, I I love listening to the same old stuff, but I also like discovering new people and listening to newer albums by artists I like. A lot of people have been coming out with albums lately, and I'm just like, this is wonderful. I love all of this. Please keep it coming. (laughs) So a a few of the things that I wanted to talk about are a few of the artists. One is Boy Genius. 
have you heard of them besides me being like have you heard of boy genius in our text chat <laughs> the, <laughs> the name is familiar and i feel like i've probably heard at least one of their songs but i can't 100 mm-hmm. percent place them so tell me all about them yeah so they are a group made up of solo musicians one is phoebe bridgers i'm sure you've heard of her at least mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes julian baker and then Lucy Dacus. So they all have individual albums. I think each of them have at least two albums and a, a couple EPs. I just made a playlist of their individual solo albums plus their Boy Genius albums, and it's like 100 songs long. So that'll get me through a work day. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Cool. But yeah, they, I don't know, I guess, I don't know a ton about like artists personal lives but mm-hmm. i guess they were all friends and they were just like let's make some music to the- together so they became boy genius and they still do their individual stuff mm-hmm. but boy genius released an ep a couple years ago i think and it was really popular so they came just came out with an album and it's called the record mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i don't know i just really enjoy it it's indie rock basically Mm -hmm. um some of it is very mellow Mm -hmm. but some of it is upbeat a couple of the songs i like twenty dollars emily i'm sorry true blue not strong enough is my favorite but the interesting thing that i have been noticing and i i talked to my friend who really likes music i talked to her about this stuff too but especially with millennial type artists so i think these gals are in their their late 20s so sort of on the cusp of millennial like i've been noticing a lot of songs that are more empowering and like about self-worth and exploring all of those things Mm -hmm. oh and especially talking about like intimacy and the intimacy of like being known by other people Mm -hmm. so they They just have a lot of great lyrics sometimes that, you know, it's like talking about how, I don't know, I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so bad at talking about music, but yeah, it's just talking about how, you know, intimacy is letting yourself be known by another person and, and letting down your walls and all that stuff. So I don't know, some of that stuff is just really kind of nice to, to listen to and, and think about. So I definitely recommend Boy Genius. Mm-hmm. I might have to make you a playlist of like select okay. songs of of all of these people that I'm going to talk about today. What? What? <laughs> let me ask real quick. Like, what is mm-hmm. the general style? Are these bops? Are these more folksy? I mean, like it's indie uh, alt rock, right? So yeah. Okay. Indie alt rock. Uh, you know what? I'd say it's a a good. Um, there are a couple bops. Mm-hmm. And there are like rock bops, I guess, so upbeat okay. sort of rock and music. But mm-hmm. I would say probably sixty percent is like mellowish. Okay, and it feels like I don't know. It kind of feels like driving music and thinking music. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> the other thing I like about them is that. They all have very distinctive voices. Hmm. So I think Lucy Dacus's is more traditionally, I don't want to say good, but traditionally <laughs> like pretty. Okay. 
And then Julian's is a little bit sharp, not in the sense of music sharp or flat, but mm-hmm. there's like sort of a sharp quality to it. Mm-hmm. And then Phoebe's is like a little bit raspy mm-hmm. and quiet. Yeah. And I think they just sound very interesting together when they all sing together. So cool. Oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Phoebe, Phoebe is the only one whose solo music I'm as familiar with. I thought I do like her. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. Great. So another band that I've been listening to a lot is Joseph, mm-hmm. and they are a a trio of of sisters mm-hmm. and i sort of came across them by accident one time i just picked up an album of theirs in target and i was like i'm gonna try this and then i did and i was like i like this oh, cool. <laughs> and they are more folk okay they're very they're more focused on their voices too like less instrumental and well i mean there are instrumentals there but the focus of the music is on their voices and then their harmonies. They harmonize really well. And because they're sisters, they like they sound alike. <laughs> <laughs> and it just blends really, really well together. So if you're into music like that, more folksy music and with a focus on the vocals, I would definitely suggest them. And they just came out with a new album called The Sun, which I really like. And this album gets more into like the empowering stuff the second song is called the sun it's the title track and there's a great line that i'm going to paraphrase but it's like i thought i was the light switch that you turned out on but it turns out hey i'm actually the sun oh <laughs> yeah so there like that's a good i mean it's a good title track because i think it sets the tone for the whole album it's just like this is an empowering album and like we're going to talk about how I'm enough as a person and you know there's a song called Nervous System that is sort of about anxiety but like it's talking about it and it well it's not talking about anxiety in a good way but it's just the whole it goes into the thesis of like this is who I am and you know, I don't have to change to be better because I, I am the best version of me and stuff like that. Aww. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like a feel-good album, I would say. Good. <laughs> and, you know, it's about, like, putting light into the world and all all of that stuff. Yeah. So I definitely suggest them as well. Cool. And then the last artist that I want to talk about is Muna. <laughs> and I've I've also definitely asked you, do you know about Muna? <laughs> <laughs> And again, like Boy Genius, I think I've seen the name and I've probably heard some of their... Sometimes I'll I'll make playlists of just random alt-rock and not notice who the artist is. If it's mm-hmm. like a newer artist that I'm not as familiar with. But if you... if Probably there's been songs of theirs that I like. So I know the name looks familiar to me. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they... You might have heard them or noticed them because they are one of Taylor Swift's openers oh, for okay. her tour yeah. now. So I think they did some dates a week or two ago, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't remember exactly how I, no, you know, I think my friend Aaron was like, you should listen to Muna. And I was oh. like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. And we have a lot of similar music tastes. So I, I, I trust her and I, and I listened to Muna and I was like, this is, this is decent. Like, this is good. And then there was like 
a snap a couple weeks ago where I was like, wait, I think they're one of my favorite bands. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it kind of snuck up on me. But they have three albums out, and I just put them on a playlist, and I've been listening to them on and off at work. And then I, yeah, there was a moment where I was like, oh, wait, I really like this stuff. Oh, good. (laughs) So they're more synth pop or dance pop, according to Wikipedia. So I, I think out of the three, I would recommend them to you the most. Okay. And let's see. Yeah, so uh, there are three people in this band as well. This is oh, this is actually really funny because there are three people in each band. (laughs) They're all trios. That's funny. Yeah, and the other two are all are all girl bands, Mm -hmm. and this one is two women and one non-binary person. Okay, so I can't say they're all three girl bands. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So their first album is called About You, and their second one is called Saves the World, and their third one is called Muna, and I honestly can't decide which is my favorite because they all have really great songs on them, but <laughs> Phoebe Bridgers actually guests on their latest one. I was going to say, I looked up <laughs> on my Spotify, if I because this is so familiar to me, I have already liked oh. the song that they collaborate with Phoebe on, Silk Chiffon. From yes, yeah, yeah. The, the title song of their new album. That's so funny. Yeah. That reminds me that Phoebe didn't discover them. They were they have been active, I think, for about ten years. Mm-hmm. But they had a record label and then they I think they got dropped during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then Phoebe saw them or something and she signed them to her label or something uh-huh. like that. So that's how their third album came out. Cool. So I think they're friends in real life, which I think is funny. Not funny, but like cool. I like when artists are friends and they're, they're like, <laughs> sing on my album. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I don't, I can't really give you any like favorite songs because there are so many, but they have a lot of bops as well. Like mm-hmm. they're very upbeat yeah. and they're great driving music. And I, I suggested them to Rachel too the other day because she wanted some songs for the gym and they're they would be great for the gym because they're the beats per minute are high you know and they've got good rhythm Mm -hmm. drum beats and stuff like that so i definitely suggest them and uh at the same time they they have some great lyrics too and sometimes they just really make me think and um yeah i don't know i guess i think that's a theme with me like i really like lyrics that just are thoughtful mm-hmm. i guess and make me think about the world and different things and i mentioned to my friend the other day that i mean traditionally i've really liked songwriters like taylor swift and sarah Bareilles and alanis morissette and they're very like intricate with their lyrics but mm-hmm. a lot of these these people are these bands are sort of simplistic and mm-hmm. There is a beauty there mm-hmm. that I really like, and it's just sort of like it's a simple truth that hits me, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? I should. I am the sun, <laughs> different <Aww>. things like that. <laughs> like that. So it's less about the intricacy of the language, mm-hmm. and more just like, hey, we're exploring 
an emotion and I'm mm-hmm. going to take you through it and mm-hmm. it sounds nice and it's going to make you feel things. Aw, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just, I love all of them right now and I highly recommend them to anyone who wants some pop and rock, I guess. Yeah. Some indie, indie yeah. stuff. Well, also it's spelled M-U-N-A all caps. Just so oh people. yeah, sorry. And I just made a Muna playlist, so I'm gonna nice. listen to well, that. Le- yeah, yeah. Let me know in a couple weeks what you what you think. Sure, sure. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I mean that was that was an interesting episode, and I had yeah. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. But if you're interested in the stuff that we talked about today, you can find The Great Gatsby at your local library or your local bookstore or even online since it's in the public domain now. Mm-hmm. So it's probably on gutenberg.org. Yep. And you can find Boy Genius, Muna, and Joseph wherever you stream your music or buy your music. Yeah. And next time we'll talk about more great pop culture stuff. So be sure to join us in two weeks and hopefully the WGA strike will be over by then. Yay. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And from there, you can find the link to the merch store, as well as our email, PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.